Okay, everybody, welcome to the Dungeon of Doom. Ben, it's uh, some very good times on the Lions beat and in Lions world these days. You know, winners of five of the last six to go from the worst team in the league to the, dare I say, hope skirts of the, of the playoff chase. Got a good episode of podcast on tap this week. Taylor Decker coming up on the back end. Just give us a, a nice perspective on, he's the longest tenured guy who's been around. He's as such, he's He's seen some things in Detroit. <laughs> but first up, Ben, I'm, I'm very pleased to welcome Peter King to the program. Football Morning in America column every week. Just you know, one of the deans of, of what we do here in this business. And I have respected for a long time. So very excited to welcome Peter King to the program. Hi, Peter. Kyle, how you doing? It's it's good to see you again. I, yeah, thank you. Good to see you too. Likewise, I, I think the last time I saw you was before. So you were at the Colts-Lions preseason game, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I saw you up in the press box. I, I'm just curious. You, I mean, this this off season, you know, you were one of the guys in the national media were who were highest on the Lions. I saw you predicted seven, eight wins was was possible, and here they are sitting on six wins going into the final month. So I'm just curious as you sit back and think about this this journey they've been on. Obviously, they haven't gone the conventional way to a playoff race, but what what have you seen from you know the, the Lions this year? Well, I think there's two things. Number one, when, when Dan Campbell kind of read the riot act to the defense, the defense kind of woke up, and it's not like Aaron Glenn is Chuck Knoll and this is the 76 Steelers, but I think they've improved enough so that they don't have to score 43 points a game to win. And that's important. But I also think, I think the most important thing is that they're legitimately dangerous on offense. You can't be dangerous on offense unless, unless your quarterback is really good. And right now, the last five, six weeks, Jared Goff is really good. And I think this is an interesting thing about you know, I, th I think it's a really interesting thing for the future of this franchise because obviously you look at the way the draft is going to go. Let's just say that, you know, the Rams pick, which obviously the Lions have, let's just say that that pick is, you know, five. And let's just say the Lions pick is 18, whatever it is. It might be 22, who knows. But But let's just say that's it. Now, for the longest time, I think we all thought that they were going to have to use that pick on one of the quarterbacks in the draft and or maybe use maybe the second pick in the first round to help you move up so that you have a, you know, you have the ammunition to go up and get the quarterback you want. But the way I look at it right now, and it's a weird way to look at it, quite honestly, I think this is the way I would look at it anyway, is that right now. Brad Holmes has the ability to enter the scouting process. You know, when you're, whenever the season is over and he can focus totally on scouting for the draft, he can enter that part and he can say, hey, let's build the best team we can around Jared Goff, not, hey, let's go get a quarterback to replace Jared Goff. Now, look, who knows what the next four weeks hold, Kyle? I don't know. You don't know. And, and so we might be singing a different tune on January 15th. But I think as we stand here right now, whether they make the playoffs or not, whether they keep staying as one of the hottest teams in football, that to me, it's obviously important, but that is not as important as what's happening right now 
in the roster building for 2023 and beyond. I was just looking, I was reading your Football Morning in America column this morning, and you've got Jared Goff entering the top 10 of the MVP contender list. I just think, it, was there any How way to- How bizarre is that? Really? <laughs> That's, I know, I just Maybe. kind of stopped me in my own sentence. How do you balance this year versus last year versus the year before in Los Angeles? Because it's kind of a question we've had to ask ourselves here. It's just like, how much recency bias can we buy into with this? It's just, he's been playing so well that it's hard to just kind of ignore it at this point. So I was just, how, how do you balance the three phases of golf we've kind of seen the last three years? Well, you have to think, you, you can't be blind to the fact that there were times a year ago that I thought that Dan Campbell and the Lions were trying to win in spite of Jared Goff, not because of Jared Goff. And I think that's changed. Think about it. You know, when you guys are close to the team, I'm not close to the team at all. I'm just on the outside looking in like everybody else. But if you look at this team and the way that, at least the way I see it when I'm watching, okay? Like, I look at this team and I say, can you imagine what it must be like right now to be like, let's just say Mark Brunel and to be Ben Johnson, you know, the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. Obviously, these are guys who have not been doing this forever. But what really interests me about what it must be like for them is instead of trying to win with a quarterback and trying to make sure that they're not putting too much pressure on him, they don't care how much pressure they put on him because he's really responding this year. So that's kind of how I would look at it. Like, I think they, what I'm imagining from what I've read and heard and what I see when I watch it, I think that this team right now is trying really hard to win, not in spite of Jared Goff, but because of Jared Goff. It's a, I think, a surprising place to be, Peter, just given where Jared Goff was coming out of LA, right? There's so many problems the last couple of years. They basically gave him away and package with two first round picks and the third rounder to come to Detroit for Stafford. You know, he had some profound struggles in his first, you know, the first half of his first season here. He's been playing really well since. And obviously I think Ben Johnson has had a huge role in that. He's been Dan Campbell's guy going He's way really back. good, isn't he? Tell me a little bit about Ben Johnson that I don't know. Cause I don't know the guy at all. I've never met him. He, he smart as hell, Peter. He's a former quarterback from North Carolina. He walked out in North Carolina, majored in mathematics. He's a he's a bright guy. Came up as a as a tight ends coach, receivers coach. He was a receivers coach in Miami when when Campbell was there. That's how they met. And then Ben Johnson actually left to come to Patricia's staff in Detroit and with the tight ends coach. He was the guy who helped TJ Hawkinson develop into a, a Pro Bowl player. He was pretty instrumental in that. And then, you know, I, I don't think it's a mistake that when Things were going awry last year. Dan Campbell took over the play calling. And when he did that, he leaned on Ben Johnson more than anybody to help bridge the gap in the passing game. And Jared Goff immediately took off. The, the office became more creative. Amon Ross St. Brown was used in so many different ways. And you see now this year that he's had an offseason to implement his own system to have a greater effect on the on the offense. There's just so much creativity every week. I'm sure you saw the Penesul <laughs> catch from last weekend. How great so was I guess that? for you, Peter, I, it was unbelievable. Ben was freaking out next to me in the press box. I think, <laughs> but Peter, my question for you is: you're you're so 
glued into the the league. I'm just curious what the national perspective is on Ben Johnson, what the word is on, on him right now. And there's starting to be some rumors, you know, with how much success young offensive play callers have had as head coaches, that, you know, whether he'll get interviews in the next cycle. So I'm curious your perspective on Ben Johnson and if you've heard anything about, you know, his possible future. I think there's a few people in the league right now, a few coaches in the league that you say, these guys are kind of the rising stars who, you know, because look, I've heard this about Carolina that David Tepper wants, and who knows, he may get this stolen from him by Steve Wilkes, but his next coach, he wants to be, you know, a young Sean McVay. And so I think a lot of teams are looking for that because of the importance of the quarterback position. But the two places, two people, I think that that is absolutely true with. One is Ben Johnson of the Lions, and one is Shane Steichen of the Philadelphia Eagles. And so I think those guys, I think Ben Johnson, I would be very surprised if he doesn't get in. I'd be, hey, listen, even though he hasn't had the best year, I think Aaron Glenn's going to get interviews too, even though, you know, he might have even been in trouble two months ago or whatever it was. But I do think that I, I just a gut feeling, I think both Lions coordinators are going to get interviewed. And and while we're on the topic, I'm just interested in the national perception. Sometimes of Detroit gets kind of lost in a conversation sometimes and very understandably so. They haven't played meaningful football and it feels like a lifetime. But I'm curious the national conversation perception right now of Dan Campbell. He was the kneecap guy for so long. And I think locally we kind of understood and saw some of the nuance that he was putting in, into the rebuild here. But with that opening press conference, I think nationally, it was just this perception of meathead and there wasn't really a lot of depth to what he was doing. Right. Now, and, and now it's turning around and I think he's getting a lot of proper due. But I'm just curious your your view of Dan Campbell and the national perception there of, of, of what he's doing. You know, here's the biggest thing about Dan Campbell. You're right. When he got this job, everybody, after listening to his press conference, people were just rolling their eyes saying that, you know, biting kneecaps works and is a great sound bite, a great headline, but you got to coach your team. Okay. And one of the things I believe about Dan Campbell is that he is, and this I think comes a lot from Bill Parcells because Dan Campbell will tell you that the biggest influence on his coaching career is Bill Parcells or was Bill Parcells, both as a player when he was a player and when he was an assistant coach. So I kind of look at this as, Bill Parcells always would be the toughest guy on the coaching sidelines, you know, and he'd bite your head off if you asked a dumb question or whatever, you know, so, but at the end of the day, he knew his stuff and Dan Campbell knows his stuff in a very big way. Okay. And so I look at Dan Campbell right now and I say, Everybody who he's coaching right now, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone he's coaching right now doesn't look at him, you know, as a meathead. They look at him as a great motivator of, of people. And not only that, but I think they also look at him like, we're going to find solutions. If we don't have them right here, we will find the solutions. And if I'm a player right now looking at Dan Campbell, that's what I'm thinking of him. And so I think he's a long hauler. 
You had Jared Goff on your list of MVP candidates. I'm curious where Dan Campbell ranks in terms of your coach of the year candidates. I know Nick Sirianni is doing good stuff in Philly. I love what Mike McDaniel is doing in, in Miami and what he's done for two and, and the offense they've built there. Kevin O'Connell's done some good stuff, but you know, Dan Campbell going from worst team in the league through seven weeks to now the outskirts of the NSC playoff picture. Two weeks ago, I would have said Brian Dayball is really going to have to step in it to, to not <laughs> coach of the year. But, you know, the Giants have kind of fallen to earth. And yeah, I still, I, for the New York Giants to be 7-5-1 and one is categorically absurd. So today, today, I'd probably pick Brian Dable, but it's an 18-week award, not a 14-week award. So I think... Look, as we as we read the tea leaves, if the Detroit Lions go nine and eight, I'm I can't I'm not going to say I'm going to vote for him, but I I'm going to think I think he's going to have a really good chance to get my vote because I just look I picked him to be seven and ten, but a lot of times you make those picks and you say, man, hope I'm right on that, and you look at yourself dubiously, like you know that's really dumb. Why are you doing that? But but anyway anyway I think. My point about Campbell is that coach of the year award every year, you want to pick a guy who has taken a team that's a little downtrodden and has really improved, or there are some extenuating circumstances. And there's about 65 years of extenuating circumstances in Detroit. And just uh, to that point, I just think the, the most noticeable thing from being in that locker room back this year and just kind of the environment since Campbell got hired, the buy-in. And you noted the buy-in when you talked to Brad Holmes in the offseason and Jared Goff and Campbell. It's just fascinating how different it is three years later from where it was with the Patricia administration and trying to force the Patriot way there and just with the yeah, just the the complete and total buy-in from the top down. It's been there from day one, and just now it just feels completely reinforced. And I just like how much of that does how much of that gets recognized? I guess from the outside looking in, from the national perspective, and just kind of what does that do to the image of Detroit for say top free agents for these young draft picks coming up? Like, does it make it like just like a more desirable destination when you've got just like that? Everybody's I think Detroit. In. I think in March, Detroit will go from being you know a you know, a team of last resort to a team that says, I'm going to take a serious visit there. And I remember being there in May. I wrote a column back in May about maybe early June about how I thought Detroit was going to be the surprise team of the year. And I remember the day I was there, Brad Holmes was standing on the sidelines at a practice and practice was over. And as all the players walked in, I bet 15 players came over to him and either hugged him, shook his hand, but legitimately talked to him, everybody, for a few minutes. You know, one by one. Everybody, I was out there for 20 minutes watching Brad Holmes have little conversations with all these players, player after player. And I said to him, I said that, man, I, that was really interesting to see what you have going on here. I'm, I'm really kind of fascinated. And he goes, oh, you noticed. I said, how do you not notice? So, you know, I kind of look at it and I kind of think, honestly, players talk. And when you have cap room, free agents are going to listen. Look, I think, I think the Lions have a chance to be pretty good for a while. We'll see. So much of that is going to be on the quarterback, but I think they got a lot of good things going for them.
we can we can wrap up with this, Peter, because I know you're a little short on time. But it's, to that point, for me, this rebuild was so vast and so comprehensive that it was always about 2023. And even when the season began, 22 was about 23. I, I think the the pick of Jamison Williams, who was never going to contribute until late in the season, to me signals that even the team believed that to a large extent. It's remarkable what they've done this year in the second half. And it'll be interesting yeah. to see what they do in the final month. But but to your point about what they're building, I think next year has a chance to be a very good season for the Detroit Lions. I've not, I don't think I've ever said that. And even in 2014, which was the best year that I've covered on my years on the beat, it, that team was a very good defense and a very good team, but it was a very old team. Some of yeah. the, the cornerstone yeah. veterans were leaving, including Nalan Kinsu. This team now, it's it's in the infancy of what they're building. So many of their best players are young players. Panay Sewell, Amon Ross St. Brown. Although they have four rookies right now starting on a defense that in the last five or six weeks has been among the, the most improved in the league. And half the starting lineup is is rookies. So I guess I, I would say my, my question for you, Peter, is you know, when you look at the large scale outlook for the Lions, what are your thoughts about you know where they stand in the NFC, the NFC North, in, in terms of the, the big picture of what they're building going forward? I guess my question would be, and this is, sounds crazy, but who'd you rather be right now for the next five years, the Detroit Lions or the Green Bay Packers? Right. I'd rather be Detroit. I just would. Now, this, this also means that you can't blow these picks you got in front of you. They're going to have a top 10 pick next year, and they need to take – I wouldn't – I'm Brad Holmes. I'm taking zero chances with that. If the best player, the absolute best player is a guard, take the guard, walk away, and be happy that 122nd of your team for the next 10 years is all set. I, that's how I would look at this because that is the way Brad Holmes now has to manage this team going forward. We are going to be a continuum. We don't have to do anything panicky. And so if I'm Brad Holmes, that's exactly how I'm thinking. And I would be surprised if he was not thinking in that, in that way right now. I think the fans are feeling it, the excitement. I, it, I mean, Lions fans are great fans. It's a great fan base. And, and they stick with the team largely, even when they're terrible. Now the team's getting good. And and Ben can vouch for it. I felt like a playoff atmosphere just this past Sunday, not even Thanksgiving game as well, but this past Sunday that the top was coming off the place. People are excited. When, when was the last time you were this optimistic about the outlook of the Lions? I honestly, I honestly don't remember a time. I'm sure one of the years that Barry Sanders was at his peak. I, I, right. But I can't remember a time when I thought that for the next three, four, five years, the Lions were going to be good. And I don't know what I mean by good. I really don't. I don't know if 10 and 7 good or, you know, divisional playoff round good. I, I, can't, I can't tell you that. But I believe in them more than I have in a long time. Peter, we appreciate your perspective. I've always had a lot of respect to, for, for your work and, uh, and not just that, but the way you mentor so many young people in our business. And you've reached out to me even when I was a young reporter and that always meant a lot to me. So thank you very much for joining us and, and all the work you hey, do. You're you're welcome. Anytime, guys. Really enjoyed being on with you. So, yeah, it sounds like Peter King is drinking some of that Kool-Aid that's going around Detroit these days, Ben. It's really remarkable to see just the national conversation, how far that's come on Detroit. Let's bring in Taylor Decker now. He's the longest tenured player in Detroit at this point. There's just been so much turnover mm -hmm. over the past few years, you know, with the regime change and whatnot. You're the 
last holdover from a different time yeah. in Lions history. You've been through the depths of it, of this rebuild, yeah. the toughest days. You've been there for all of them, and now you're there for the good days too, Taylor. So I'm, I'm just curious, what is it like these days? I mean, just the vibe around this team. When you walk onto the field on Sunday, you can feel the energy in the crowd. What's that been like? Yeah. For you, just considering what, what you've seen over your years here? I would say it's rewarding. I would say that it's kind of a testament to sticking out hard things in the hard times. Not to be philosophical, but like I feel like people quit on a lot of things when it gets tough. And they just give up on things. And that's not something I've ever wanted to do. I said when I was drafted that I wanted to be one of those players that was with one team for 10 or 12 years. And you know, hopefully added some value in that time. So it's super rewarding because never have I not wanted to be here. I've always wanted to see this city and this team turn into a winner, and, I mean, it's just it's super rewarding. You've been a part of it now for six, seven years. You know, fans, many of them have been rooting for this team for 5, 10, 20, 40, 50 years yeah. without seeing any measure of success, really. It's remarkable to think about the generations of Lions fans who have come and gone, not ever seeing a championship in this town. Yeah. So when you talk about it, maybe being worth something more to you because you've seen the hard days you've put in the time to see the good days you have some respect too for what this town feels like now i mean given all they've been through now for 65 years and to now be to have a team now that really seems like its future is before it it's zero question that the fans are like a part of it i know they feel a part of it but like our whole like industry is like our nfl you know it wouldn't be what it is without the fans and yeah Especially in, like, Detroit, a blue-collar city like this, you got people maybe working two jobs, working manual labor, and they want to spend their hard-earned money to come see us play. So they are a part of it. And you can tell that, I mean, like you said, the stadium has been on fire. It's been cool. Like, you can feel it. Yeah. The past month has been week to week. It's, man, I didn't think the stadium could get any better, and then it does. And it's awesome. And this city and these fans deserve that because – I mean, they've just kind of stuck it out with us. Mm. You know, they went through all the hard times, too. And like you said, there's been a lot of people who have gone through it for a lot longer than I have. I mean, I know I'm in the building every day, but yeah. people are invested in it. It means a lot to them. And we throw our longest tenured player on the roster a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, it hasn't been a crazy amount of time. Do you yeah. ever look around in that locker room? And what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not necessarily old, but sometimes I look around and I feel old because we have a bunch of guys who are, like, 22 years old, and I'm like, man, I'm... I was, I was playing in the NFL when you were in high school. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, that's the NFL. I feel like it gets yeah. younger and younger every year, you know, as generations go on. And, like, for me, as I get older, it's just it's going to be a battle just to stay relevant, I guess, to, to keep producing. And, I mean, experience counts for a lot, but you also got to be able to produce. So sometimes it feels weird, but then, uh, you know, it's fun. It keeps me young, I guess. Pede was... 20 when he started a left tackle for you guys last year. Couldn't buy a beer in the stands, but he I'm like, played dude, left tackle. I was like, dude, I, didn't, I made my first start. You were in middle school or something. I'm like, it's wild. Yeah. And I mean, I touched on him to see his freak ability. Yeah. And he's so young. Yeah. Is It's just fun to watch yeah. some of the things he can do. What's the, I mean, he is a freak. And, you know, sometimes we're so far away, it's hard to really appreciate the freakiness of the things happening on the field. But like during training camp, for example, and I'm standing from where we're standing right now in the indoor practice field to the sideline 10 feet away and I can see him just wipe out Jeff Okuda on the first day of pads. Yeah, I remember it's that like, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a, he is a, I mean, just forget that he's 330 pounds because he is such a freak. I'm curious, what's the freakiest thing you've seen him do that you're, you know, with your own eyes or on tape or? I just think like his natural bend in the run game 
I mean, there will be some plays where it's like he's crawling on all fours and he's just like hitting guys with the hip and moving them and just incredibly powerful. Yeah. Incredibly powerful, but at the same point, he's not stiff. Sometimes you have guys that are strong and powerful, but they're stiff. Or you have guys that can bend, but they're not powerful. I mean, it's like he was built in a lab to play tackle. Plus, he's got the hands. Yeah. (laughs) And he's, and his, like, being that talented and having the passion for football that he does, like, it's a rare blend. One of the questions I really wanted to ask you, Taylor, just because you, you, you're bridging different eras of Lions football, basically, yeah. and you've been, and you had some good times early on, too. Yeah. The nine comebacks in your rookie yeah. year were amazing. I mean, yeah, that was a wow. really a cool thing to see, but you've been there for the hard times, too. So now that the times are getting good again, I wanted to ask you, what's been maybe the hardest time for you in Detroit? I don't know if it was going through the injury that you had a year or two ago. If it was, um, a loss on the field, a disappointment in the playoffs. I mean, what sticks with you is this is a tough one. I mean, I probably have three things. My second year coming back from my shoulder. In hindsight, I came back way too early. That truly affected me for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And it affected my play and my confidence at the time. But you're young and you want to get out there and you want to play and you want to help the team. And we ran the playoff hunt and I was like, I got to get back. I got to get back. So, yeah, I mean, that affected me for probably a year and a half after I returned from that injury. And then second would probably be last year. Broke my hand, broke my finger, and I mean, I don't know what the rating is on this podcast, but basically everybody's like, you're a pussy, we want to trade you. We want to get rid of you. It doesn't matter what you've done for us. It doesn't matter, you know, you put your heart and soul into this team. You spend time away from your family and friends, and basically for, you know, at this point, the last seven years, my whole life revolves around football, except for the two weeks I take off in, you know, at the end of the season. So that sucked, and that's something that will always bother me, but it is what it is. But I'm happy that I didn't, like, waver in my commitment to what I wanted to be to this team. And then uh, the last one, which would probably be, uh, you know, because it was so long ago of when we lost in the playoffs to the Seahawks Mm -hmm. and we just, as an offensive line, like collectively, just didn't play well. And just seeing Stafford take the hits that he did and we were just getting beat and it just sucked. Especially as a young player. I remember I was in the, I cried in the locker room after because I was like, not that I didn't try to play well, but I'm just like just seeing that we just got killed and our quarterback was getting his head ripped off and I was like man I, I, what else can I do like so that was tough see I'm interested in this dichotomy with you Taylor that you're such like the veteran leader now and you really speak up I think very eloquently for the locker room that's always why I'm bothering you yeah. <laughs> but uh, and you obviously have such a commitment to not only this team but like the way it represents Detroit and what mm-hmm. Detroit is and how the hard times have been here and you wanted to be a part of this solution and yet you've had some of the stuff thrown at you that you're going through now with the injury. And I remember getting lit up on Twitter. Oh, it's just a finger. Why can't he tape it up and go? I'm really doubting like your toughness, for example. And I'm sure you saw it too. Yeah. The trade stuff. We. I mean, I still get it up. I just a couple of weeks ago in the mailbag. I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I'm in this position <laughs> to I feel like, like they tag me in it all the time. Yeah. Like, I see it all. Yeah. I see all the stuff. I mean, I, even at the trade deadline this year, I saw a ton of stuff about it. I'm like, yeah. I just don't get it. Yeah. So I guess my question is, what keeps that commitment so strong for you? I mean, you obviously identify so much not only with the this team, which of course makes sense, but also this city and wanting to be a part of its football future. I guess what keeps that commitment so strong for you, despite some of the shit that you've seen with regard to questioning yeah. your toughness in the trades and so forth? I would say that I have become a man in this city. In college, you think you are, but you're not. You don't have all the responsibilities that, that you know an adult, a provider does, you know for your family so I would say like being in this city like this is where I became a man Mm. and uh, I guess I see my myself as like a person of conviction and uh, if I say when I'm drafted that I want to be a part of a team and help them win and turn into something for my whole career then I'm going to do that 
and no amount of people wanting to get rid of me or no amount of maybe I have a bad stretch of play, no amount of that is going to change that because I'm, I'm, I want to stand by that. I want to stand by my word. And when I can't do it anymore, I'll hang it up and I'll be fine with that and I'll sleep good at night. But I still think that I still think I have a lot to offer. I think I have a lot of good football in me. And I'm not going to let anybody else dictate, you know, how I approach my career and in my life and scare me off or run me out of town. I'm just not going to not going to let that happen. Yeah. And you talk about that 2016 playoff loss and the offensive line feeling that one flash forward to now it really feels like a lot mm-hmm. of this has been built in that offensive line room. How much pride do you take in yeah. that offensive line and just kind of that group being kind of the power to that high-powered offense? Yeah, I mean, I feel like dating back to that the draft that I was in, the organization put a big emphasis on we need to build this offensive line. Because in my draft, there were like three linemen taken. A couple years later, Frank was taken. Then Jonah, then Panay signed Big V. Like we had signed TJ, and we signed Rick Wagner. Like they've been wanting to build like a unit, like five guys and maybe some depth for a long time. Because the best teams in the league, they have that. So I think they were able to identify that as something we needed to have as a strength. And over it took time to build it, but they've invested resources in it. And I think we got a, like a, we just got a really good offensive line. I mean, it's just on paper it's always looked good, and then like we we needed to prove it, and we're still gonna have to prove it. Because, you know, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. But, I mean, we have a good group. That was one of, I mean, to me, that was one of the ironies about all the people talking about trade Taylor Decker. Just because they, the Lions have spent so much time and so many resources to build up this unit as a strength of the team. Not just a good player here or there, but they wanted this unit to be able to be its strength, the thing mm-hmm. that it leaned on for years to come. Yeah. It's an elusive thing to build in this league to get five guys in terms of their experience and age and ability and contract situation mm-hmm. aligned. Yeah. And the Lions did that, and they've built this strength that even in the hard times last year, you could see the offensive line it was becoming that thing. Yeah. And then people, largely fans, but some people in the media are like, oh, but go ahead and trade this left tackle that's playing at a really high level. Yeah. Just after you've spent all this time, millions of dollars in high draft picks to build this thing, yeah. it was a very ironic take to me. Like, now you're just going to yeah. undercut one of the legs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, the organization didn't take that approach, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think I spoke about it yesterday. Like, when you have to rebuild something, a lot of people are going to get the axe. But that doesn't mean there are people that are currently there that can add value. I remember when Dan got hired. I mean, I was already under contract. But I told Chris Spielman, I was like, I would just love to talk to him just to ask him to interview Hank. Because I think Hank's a phenomenal coach. And I was like, I'm not, I'm, you know, it's not my job to tell you to hire. I'm just saying us as a group, we love this guy. And we think he's a really good coach. So maybe just, you know, interview him. And I'm sure he was going to anyway. But there's good pieces to be had. Right. Yeah, I mean, I know people love draft picks and, you know, what the potential could be. Yeah. A lot of draft picks don't pan out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of guys from my draft that aren't even playing anymore. So It's interesting to me that uh, he kept two coaches, right? Hank Fraley, who's done magnificent work with you yeah. guys. And you can see it every time someone goes out and someone else steps in and you continue to play at a high level. It's yeah. really kind of remarkable when you look at some of the struggles of backup players you know, around the league, and that has not really been an issue yeah. here. And the other guy is Ben Johnson, who's now like one of the talks of the league and has put together a, yeah. you know, a, one of the hottest offenses. I mean, when he first got here, he was like a like an offensive assistant. He would just yeah. put the PowerPoints up. He had coached like in, in Miami, and like he'd, he'd been in the league for a little while. But man, just in a couple years' time, and you just see like how brilliant he is and how well he relates to the players. 
and wants to, he can like get the best out of you, demand the best out of you, and then just put us into positions to succeed. I mean, he will tell you it's like players over plays. Everyone talks about the brilliance of Ben Johnson, and on the front end of this podcast, we were talking to Peter King. He asked a very good question, which was, hey, like to me, he was saying, hey, tell me something I don't know about Ben Johnson. Tell me something, Taylor, about that we don't know about Ben Johnson. I mean, because we do hear all these things about him being brilliant and whatnot, but what's like something that maybe the people don't know that? Um, oh, shit, I don't know, man. The guy's <laughs> in the building all the time. I mean, I f- like so much of everything we do is just football all the time. So, <laughs> I truthfully don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't <laughs> have yeah. I mean, I will say that he has yeah. some some pretty funny explanations for why code words mean what they do and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> is there an? Ex- I know that. I like, can't give any yeah, examples. Okay. I, 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 I had to ask. I had to ask. <laughs> but he's pretty creative with that. And uh, I mean, while he is like just very good at what he does he, it's just fun to work with him like he's just good at what he does he's not only a good offensive mind but he's good at relating to the players and I'm just happy for him last question for you and we'll get you out of here because it's about 30 degrees in the North <laughs> 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 no, no. Uh, and you got to take a shower yeah, you made news this week on the part of my take a podcast yeah. that you played through appendicitis um, yeah. 2020 right the first month of yeah. that season it's crazy. that's that is crazy <laughs> so we have you here so we just gotta ask real as a follow basically just yeah what the f basically what was that like that's i was very irritable for that i was in a really bad mood but i had almost i think it was like a week prior i had signed my contract extension Hmm. and just like with a lot of what i've said like i want to always be out there and be dependable and be relied upon and i've committed myself to that so i'm going to do it so i woke up the friday so it would have been late saturday or early saturday and i was just sweating but shivering and uh, my stomach was just killing me and I thought, oh, I was like, do I have like COVID or something? What is, I don't know what's going on, but I was like, I'm not going to, I can't tell anybody because I can't miss the game the Friday before. I can't give anybody a two days notice and then just not play. Like we're playing the Bears. They got Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks. And like, I just, I have to play. Like, I just have to deal with it. So my wife gave me like every possible medicine and everything she could possibly think of. And, like homemade remedies and whatnot. Yeah, just anything she possibly could. And I thought I was feeling a little better, but then like, Tuesday, with Tuesdays our day off, I just was like still, I just like had these sharp pains and I was like, I don't, I gotta tell somebody. And I was worried about This that. was after the game? I took the Tuesday Yeah, after so game? Friday, yeah. Yeah. took everything yeah. I could, just yeah. dealt with it, played yeah. Sunday, yeah. felt terrible. Monday we were in here, didn't wanna tell anybody because I, I didn't wanna like get tested for COVID and be out for, you know, again. So Tuesday comes around, I'm like, I just, I'm, I can't deal with this. I gotta tell somebody, I got something going on. So I kind of explained it, and they were like, is it to one side or anything like that? And I'm like, yeah. And they were like, we need to get you a CAT scan. So they got me a CAT scan, and it was like the top portion of my appendix. They were like, yeah, you have appendicitis. You should have told us. Like, this was stupid. This was dumb. And I was like, well, I mean, and I was like, well, if I get it out, like, how long will I be out for? And they're like, a month. And I was like, I can't. Like, I just can't miss that time. Like, I want to play. I just signed my contract extension. I want to validate that. I want to show that I'm... You know living up to that so they were like okay we'll set you up with a doctor and we'll just see what your options are and i think it was mrs ford's like doctor and he was like well in some european countries they try and treat it with antibiotics like super high dosage of antibiotics it's gonna wipe you out you're gonna feel terrible but it can calm it down and then at that point if it comes back then you gotta get it taken out so i was like all right i'll try it so I was on like super high dose antibiotics for two weeks. And then I basically had the appendicitis symptoms for about a month total. And then it kind of resolved. So now I'm just waiting on it to come back and have to get it cut out. So 
I mean, I, I mean, I assumed around the short list of guys who have played through appendicitis. What was that physically like? I mean, like how much did it hold you back? How painful was it? That was probably. I mean, it's probably up there of the most painful things I've played through. I just yeah. felt like I just had the sharp pain. Like, I had, like, a knife in my side or something, yeah. and I yeah. felt like I couldn't stand up all the way. Like, run blocking, especially when you make contact and your core tightens, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just felt like I had, some, like, a wound on my side or something. Yeah. So, but then you get out there, and the bullets are flying, and you just do it. Right. So, last thing, and I already said that, but for real, last thing. Yeah. Having gone through that experience and telling nobody, obviously no fans and the public, but even not the team, so you can be there for the team and you can play because people are counting on you. Like, I, like, at least for me, that gives, like, new meaning to what happened in the first half of last year when you had the finger injury, yeah. you had to have surgery to, to open the season, and people were publicly questioning your toughness. Yeah. That must have been especially painful, right, knowing what you had just been through the year before. Yeah, and I mean, big picture, those people don't have that perspective, so I know they don't know. Yeah. But I know. Yeah. And I know what myself and all these guys will put themselves through just to be out there and play even if it's at 70 percent and they know they're yeah. not going to play well yeah i mean that's just part of the business and like toughness goes a long way like yeah. it does like it count it counts for a lot you know especially within the building to you know have the respect to your teammates and your coaches and i mean i've had plenty of things that people don't know about that i've played with and that i just i'm just going to go play like it is what it is and if i get dinged up on sunday I'm going to come in on Monday, and I'm going to tell Dan I'm going to play. It's not a problem. If I can't play, I really can't play. So, yeah. Hey, Dacker, great stuff. Thank you very much. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Thanks again.